Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. We are so glad that you decided to spend part of Mother's Day with us. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, uh, welcome. Well, we are in the middle of a series that we are calling Great Questions. And it's actually a series we asked you to help us design. We want to be a church that welcomes questions, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you're not a Christian and are just exploring Christianity. So we asked you to vote on the questions you'd most want to have answered, and we came up with eight questions. Uh, four of them we're covering in our podcast that's called Church Unplugged, and you can uh, subscribe to that anytime. And the other four questions we're handling in our weekend services. This is the third week, so it's the third question. First two questions had to do with suffering and help. First question, was, uh, if God loves me, why is my life filled with pain and suffering? Then last week, uh, we answered the question, how can a loving God send people to help? Both great questions. If you missed those messages, you can uh, see them on our website or uh, download our app and listen to it, watch it. I would encourage you to do that. The question today isn't quite as dark as those two questions, and I'm glad because it's Mother's Day, right? Uh, the question for today is, uh, what can God tell us that science can't? What can God tell us that science can't? Science, God, dilemma. Uh, it's actually a great question for Mother's Day because I could actually ask you, uh, what could your mom tell you that science can't, right? I mean, your mom in science could probably tell you different things that are all, both very important, kind of different categories, right? But your mom and science are not mortal enemies. God and science are not mortal enemies. God doesn't sit up in heaven and go, those blasted scientists, they're, they're killing me, right? Psalm 19, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech and night after night reveals knowledge. The psalmist is saying the physical world will show us something of God's heart, God's mind. Look. I was on a website this week, and I read an article. It was entitled, The, the 42 Biggest Questions About Life, the Universe, and Everything. <laughs> it's a serious article. Here are some of the questions. What is dark energy? How can Einstein's gravity be reconciled with quantum mechanics? What's the origin of entropy? Uh... Why does matter still exist? All those are Psalm 19 questions. Great questions, right? And what I want to tell you is this. If you're a scientist, you're doing exactly what God would want you to do. Study, observe, appreciate the beauty and wonder and complexity of the physical world. With that said, the physical sciences of biology, chemistry, physics, all have limitations. They don't explain everything which is why it's Mother's Day. There's no Mother's Day card that just thanks your mom for her biological contribution. 
It says, Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for the egg. Love, your son Joe. Right, why not? Because we know that the contribution that your mom has made to your life isn't just limited to biology. It's much more. It's not less than biology, but it's more than biology. Science can answer a lot of questions. And the more science understands about our physical world, the more enriched our lives can become. But there are some questions that science is not equipped to answer. And I would be so bold as to say those questions, what I will call metaphysical questions, are even more important to us as human beings than the physical questions. These are the questions that keep us up at night. So in answer to the question, what can God tell us that science can't, let me start with love. Love. Love has no physical dimensions. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. And yet, there is nothing that's more important to you or the people around you than love. And if you are here this morning and you don't feel loved by anyone, you are in agony and possibly in danger. And the question is, why? Why does love have that kind of impact on us? Why do we write songs about love? Why do we write poems about love, watch movies about love? Why do we have the inkling inside that love could actually fix what is broken in our souls, that love could actually fix what is broken in our world? 1965, Burt Bacharach sang a song, What the World Needs Now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. I've I, I read those words of the, the whole song, and he goes on to say, oh, Lord, we don't need more mountains to climb. We don't need rivers to cross. What we need is love, sweet love. Right? Where does that come from? That deep, deep longing for love. You go to a biologist, to a chemist, and they will say, well, the explanation that science would give for love has to do with reproduction because the propagation of our species is the most important thing. It's what everyone is hardwired to do. And you want to go, really? That's the explanation for not just romantic love, but love between friends. It's not just the answer for romantic love and love between friends, but love between families and love the reason I love my grandmother. And that's the reason why I think that love could fix what is broken deep down in my soul. And that's the reason why we feel like love can actually fix the brokenness of the world. That's the answer. I want to say like the Mother's Day card that says, thanks for the egg. It's not less than biology and chemistry, but love is actually more than biology and chemistry. And I think deep down, we know that. Deep down, we want that to be true. Right? So, one of the things that science says, right, is that love is this chemistry, biology. The most robust answer for love, I think, comes from the Christian faith. And let me explain what I mean. I'm going to read three passages of Scripture, and they'll seem unrelated, and then I'm going to tie them together so you understand. The first passage I'm going to read is from Genesis chapter 1. If you ever want to find out uh, why we are uh, the way we are, you go to the beginning of the Bible, and Genesis will tell you. But the first passage is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's what it says. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Second passage, just a little bit further down in the same chapter, verse 27, says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then the third passage is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. First passage talks about how God creates the entire world. The second passage tells us how God created us, only us, in his image, and that makes us absolutely unique. And the third passage tells us something about the very essence of God when John says God is love. He doesn't just say God loves. He said God, in his essence, is love. And the reason that only Christianity can say that is because only Christianity says that God's nature is a trinity, that God exists in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God, before he created anything else to love, was in relationship within himself and in his essence was love, which is why I read Genesis chapter 1, because in those first three verses, we see all three uh, persons of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You read it again and show you. It says, in the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. What did God speak? Why did he use a word to create? Well, the Gospel of John, the disciple John, when he is introducing Jesus to the world, begins his Gospel very much like Genesis, and this is the way he begins the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Because Christianity says that God exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Christianity can say that before anything was created, God was already in relationship at his core was love. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He says all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is often something quite different. They really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect, and perhaps they are. But that is something quite different from what Christians mean by the statement, God is love. They believe that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. And that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. 
that in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. If you want to know why you long for love, why you feel like you will die without it, why without love everything you do turns to dust and becomes tasteless, this is the reason. Because you were created by love, in love, for love. Because God in his essence is love. And when he created you, he created you in his image. And that flowed out of him to you. And, and what happens is this, this stream of love that connects everyone in relationship is what Bert Bacharach was saying. We need more of that stream. We need more of that river. And the very headwaters of love, according to Christianity, is God himself. What's interesting about Christianity is that they say that, we say that love began, or love was before all things, and then creation. Love, then power. Power as an instrument of love. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want somebody to love you and then use all their strength and their power for you? To switch that around is catastrophic. Go to a biologist and say, what is the foundation of the world? What is the engine that runs the world? And the biologist has to say, power. Not love, power. Because it's survival of the fittest. That's the engine that forms the world. But trying to get love out of power is a difficult thing. There's a Russian writer named Chesnig Admatov. Uh, he wrote about an experience in 1935 with Stalin. Stalin took his, his cabinet to a barn, and there he asked for a chicken, and they handed him a live chicken, and he held the chicken in his arm firmly, and then he began to rip out feathers by the fistful. And the chicken squirmed and squawked in pain, and Stalin, without a word, just kept on tearing out the feathers until he had denuded the chicken completely. And then he set this chicken down on the ground, and it was quivering in pain and fear. And then Stalin took a handful of grain and he held it down and the chicken staggered over to his hand and Stalin stood up and said to his closest advisors, people are like chickens. You can treat them any way you want as long as you have what they need. That's power. Nobody says what the world needs now is more power. Instead we say what the world needs now is love. And Christianity says the reason we say that, the reason you feel that, the reason you long for that is that you have a trace memory of the headwaters of love, that you were created by love, for love, in love, for God himself. Science, chemistry, biology explain a lot of things, but love is not less than chemistry, not less than biology, but infinitely more. And we want it to be more. In answer to the question, why, what can God tell us that science can't? The first is love. The second thing is why we long for meaning. Why we long for meaning. So a German philosopher, Martin Heidegger, was credited with, answer, with asking the question, why is there something rather than nothing at all? Why do we even exist? What is it inside of us that longs for purpose, that longs for meaning? There's a guy named John Scully. 
1983, John Scully was the president of PepsiCo. PepsiCo at that time, multi-billion dollar corporation with a worldwide impact. John Scully, president, a guy named Steve Jobs came up to John Scully. He had started a company called Apple, 1983. He was trying to recruit John Scully away from PepsiCo. And the way he did it was say, he said this, John, do you want to keep selling sugar water or do you want to come with me and change the world? <laughs> That's the way to recruit somebody. Why is it that gives us goosebumps? Why is it that it worked with John Scully? What Stephen Jobs, what, he wasn't offering more money. He wasn't offering better stock options. No one knew in 1983 what Apple would become. What he was saying is this, John, you know you want your life to matter. John, deep down, you know you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You know you want your life to have impact and significance. Come with me and change the world. Why are we all wired like that? Why do we long for our lives to matter? Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Great books sometimes have iconic first sentences. A tale of two cities starts out, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Moby Dick starts out with, call me Ishmael. The Bible starts with an iconic phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning is the way you start a story. If your kids say, mom, dad, tell us how you met, you call them around, you say, come up. Let me tell you, in the beginning, Mom and dad didn't even know each other. It's the way you tell a story. The Bible is the story of God. Right? In the beginning, this God created all that is, and he created out of this, this swirling, bubbling headwaters of love. Because, and then the world was this perfect world, which is why all of us are so surprised when things go wrong, because we, we, we know that we were created for a world where things don't go wrong, where people don't get sick, where people don't die. We know that. We feel that. And the Bible says God created a world like that, and then something did break the world. But God, instead of throwing the world away, decided to begin the process of restoration. And the whole story of God is that restoration. Genesis chapter 12, God says to a man, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and then through you I'm going to bless the whole world. And then there's Moses and the prophets, and everyone's talking about how God someday is going to send someone who will be a savior. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus dies on a cross, resurrects, and then the church explodes throughout the world. It begins to flow from person to person and country to country and across time and across continents and across the ocean right here to you and into your life and into your children's lives. And it's because of that it changes you and impacts what you do and why you do and how you do and actually impacts the world around you. God, the, story, the Bible is the story of God. It's all about God, but God writes in characters to the story. He invites people to be part of his story. Stephen Jobs went up to John Scully and said, you know deep down you want your life to matter. You want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You want to have significance. God comes to you through Jesus and says, 
deep down, I wired you to be part of something bigger than yourself. I wired you to be part of my story. Come with me and change the world. You, don't know, you want to know the answer to the question? What can God tell us that science can't? God, God can tell us why we long for love and how to reconnect with that love. God can tell us why we long for meaning and significance and how we, how we can have that meaning and significance. And finally, God can tell us why we long for a place. We long for a place. Uh, people who travel all the time for their jobs amaze me. If you're one of those people, it's incredible. I don't like to travel. I, I don't mind traveling, but I wouldn't want to do it as a lifestyle. I don't know many people who do. And I think part of that is that we are all of us wired for a place, for home. Not a house, not an apartment, but a place where we are known and where we loved. There was a sitcom in the uh, 80s and 90s called Cheers, if you've ever seen it. But in Cheers, it, it Cheers is a bar, and there's a, there's a theme song that kind of sticks in your head. It says, uh, you want to go where people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. And during that sitcom, in every episode, it seemed like uh, at some point during the episode, a guy named Norm, which is one of the characters, would walk into the bar and everybody would do what? They would yell, Norm! Yeah. <laughs> love that part. Listen, I love my job. I love what I do. I love being a pastor. I love this church. love you guys. love uh, coming to work. But my favorite part of the day is when I drive home, pull into my garage, open the door, hang my keys on a hook, and say, I'm home. I'm home. And my wife, Karen, yells, Norm! No, she doesn't. That would be weird. <laughs> but what is it? What is it that we long to be a place where we are known, where we are loved, where we have plenty, where we have peace and harmony, and rest. And if your home is not like that, you know it should be. Where does that come from? Back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But it says, The earth was without form and void. That means it was an uninhabitable wilderness. No one, no place there. And then chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God made a place for Adam, a place for Eve, so that no matter where they would go, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, they could come home, hang their keys up, and know they were at a place where they were known, where they were loved, where there was peace, where there was harmony, where there was plenty, where there was rest. Listen, I started this by saying I was going to try to answer the question, what can God tell us that science can't? I think I really ended up trying to tell you what God can give you that science can't. Because if I could give you anything on this Mother's Day, if I could take a bag and I could put love in the bag and I could put meaning and significance in the bag and I could put a place where you, are, where you are known and loved in the bag and I gave it to you as a gift, this would be a day you would never, ever forget. 
So you can go to the sciences, to chemistry, biology, physics, to try to find the answers to why you long for love and meaning and significance and a place. And you can try to decide whether the answers that you find are thin or robust. And then you can go to God, the true God, who said the reason that you long for love, for meaning, for place, is because I made you like that and I made you for myself. Augustine, the great theologian, prayed a prayer one time, and this is what he said, O God, thou hast made us for thyself, and we are restless, our souls are restless till we find our rest in thee. If you are restless today, then I would encourage you to take a Bible and read the Gospel of John and see if Jesus does not begin to answer the deepest questions of your heart. And I know that uh, you might have a lot of other questions about science and God that I didn't touch on. There was a lot of directions I could have gone today. So if you have other questions about science and God, I would encourage you to come to our forum uh, on May 19th and ask those questions, and we'll try to answer them. But if you're here and you have a longing for love, for meaning, for place, It's Jesus you're longing for, whether you realize it or not, and he invites you to come to him and let him answer the deepest questions of your soul. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and we, uh, I thank you for the way that you made us. I thank you that you are a God uh, that doesn't just love, but you are love. And that you use power as an instrument of that love. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for inviting us into your story, for giving us significance. Thanks for everything. I pray that anybody who is restless this morning would find their rest in you. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.